All right, we are continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we, um, this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 37. We're going to read all the way through chapter 22, verse 22. So we have a, a larger section to go through this morning. Uh, so take a minute, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Starting in verse 7, it says this, verse 37, sorry. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as a high priest and the whole council of elders can bear, bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. 
And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Thus sends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find that they are living according to the truth. When you read through your Bible, one of the more frequent words that you will find is this word, truth. In fact, in the Gospel of John alone, we see, we see the word truth being used 23 different times. And this makes sense for, for when John introduces Jesus to us, he, he uses this description. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is letting us know that this Jesus, this glorious Son of the Father, is all about the truth. And we see the same theme a little later in chapter 4 when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. There he was telling her what true worship really looks like. Look at, look at verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We then see this word again coming from the mouth of our Lord later in chapter 8. When, when Jesus was debating with his Jewish opponents. Look, look what he says in verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so we see that, that the truth also has the power to bring freedom. A little later in that same chapter, Jesus then says this. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And so it is the truth that, that exposes the hearts of the enemies of God. Jump forward to chapter 14. We, we see the same theme of truth again when Jesus was revealing to his disciples who he truly is. Look, look at verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we see that Jesus is also the definer of the truth. And then in chapter 16, when speaking of the Holy Spirit, we see this theme of truth again. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so not only is Jesus the truth, but so is the Holy Spirit. And then just a chapter later, when Jesus was praying for his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear him beseeching his Father with these words, Sanctify them in the truth. 
Your word is truth. And so God's word is a beacon of truth for us. And it is that truth which sanctifies God's people. And then in chapter 18, after being arrested, Jesus speaks these words when addressing Pilate. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And that was when Pilate gave his famous but foolish response, what is truth? And so you can see that the, that the truth is very, very important to Jesus Christ. And because it is so important to him, it should thus be therefore just as important to any who claim to be Jesus' disciples. And yet when the truth isn't known, or even worse, when, worse when, the, when the truth is ignored, that is when the devil, the father of lies, gains a foothold into the minds of men. And if those men are filled with zeal, well then that can lead to all sorts of trouble. For zeal without a knowledge of the truth leads to great error. Let me say that again. Zeal without a knowledge of the truth leads to great error. And this is exactly what we see in our passage for today. Now before we jump in, let me, let me give you a brief outline so that you can see where, we're, where we are going. So that you can see the, the different kinds of zeal that are demonstrated throughout in chapter 21, verses 37 through 39, we see Paul's zeal for the unbelieving Jews. Paul had a passion for, for the salvation of his kinsmen. And then starting in verse 40 and all the way through verse 5 in chapter 22, we see how Paul used to be when he had a zeal that was without a knowledge of the truth. And then in verses 6 through 11, we, we switch to a new character and we see the zeal of Jesus Christ. Jesus was zealous for the Apostle Paul. And then in verses 12 through 21, we, we come back once again to Paul and, and, we, and we see how his zeal has now changed for, it, for it, is, it was now directed towards his king, towards Jesus and then finally, in verse 22, we switch to the crowd, to those unbelieving Jews whom Paul wanted to see saved. And we discover that just like Paul in his past, they too had a zeal without a knowledge of the truth. So let's dive into our passage and let's see what this looks like. Let's look first at Paul's zeal for these unbelieving Jews. Look at, look at Acts chapter 21, verses 37 through 39 once more. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are, are you not the Egyptian then who, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? 
Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Now, now we are jumping in to the middle of a story. And so the question we must ask is this, how did the Apostle Paul end up in chains? If you recall from last Sunday, Paul, well, he was arrested by this Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias. After finishing his third missionary journey, Paul had traveled back to Jerusalem. And while he was there, a riot broke out, right? Some of the Jews from Asia had recognized Paul while he was at the temple. And these Jews, what did they do? They stirred up the crowds. They claimed that Paul had brought a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple, a crime which was punishable by death. And so a mob had formed, and they had dragged this apostle out of the temple and shut the temple doors behind them. Their intention was to murder this man. They were going to beat Paul to death. And they would have succeeded too had it not been for this Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias. For when Claudius was informed of all that was happening, he took his soldiers, he ran to that temple ground and took control of the situation. Claudius was not going to allow mob violence to have its way in his city. Not while he was in charge. And so he arrested Paul, bound him in chains, and brought him back to the tower of Antonia in order that he might question him. And, and this is where we pick up our story. Now, now, I have to imagine that Paul's heart was pumping fiercely. I mean, how could it not? After almost being beaten to death by this violent mob. And then your, your rescuer, rescuer, has you chained up and locked away and surrounded by Roman soldiers in this fortified tower. I don't know about you, but, but, but I myself would have been pretty terrified. And yet, instead of trembling with fear, the Apostle Paul gave a demonstration of courage. For what did he do? He spoke directly to this tribune and put forward a request. May I say something to you? Now, now, the fact that Paul could speak Greek to the, took this Claudius by surprise. And that's because Claudius had made an assumption concerning who, whom Paul was. He believed Paul to be this Egyptian insurrectionist. Now, we cannot be certain who Claudius was referring to here, but most likely he was referring to a, a certain zealot who, who happened to be a, a diaspora Jew born, born in Egypt who had a few, a few years back tried to lead a revolt against the Romans. This man had convinced a number of Jews to follow him out to the Mount of Olives. There he, he, he told his people that, that just like Jericho, God would tear down the walls of Jerusalem. And yet the Romans never gave this Egyptian revolutionary the time to find out. They sent out their troops and slaughtered 400 of his men and captured another 200 more. The rest of the people, they, they fled, fled into the wilderness. And this man's insurrection amounted to nothing. And so this 
This was the man whom Claudius had thought he had captured. A man of violence. A zealous man, yes, but a man whose zeal was towards death. And yet when Paul began to speak the Greek language, Claudius knew that something was awry. That this wasn't that man. Apparently that revolutionary didn't know how to speak Greek. So who was this man that he had in chains then? And why were the Jews so angry with him? What does Paul say about himself? Not that he's an Egyptian, but that he is a Jew from Tarsus, a citizen of no obscure city. In fact, this, this was the same Tarsus that years before had been granted tax exemption from Rome due to how loyal they were to Caesar. And so Paul was not an insurrectionist, nor did he have any intentions of trying to overthrow Rome. But what he was was a man of courage, a man full of zeal. For what did Paul ask of this tribune? I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Now, why in the world would Paul even consider going back out to that crowd, to that violent mob who wanted his head? It's because Paul's zeal was not for violence towards his enemies. Rather, his zeal was for compassion towards his enemies. He, he was not like that Egyptian insurrectionist. No, rather, his zeal was to bear witness to his enemies so that they might know the risen Jesus. Paul desired their salvation. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. Paul's zeal was for the salvation of his enemies. And it is this kind of zeal that God, God calls all believers to. Let me ask you. When, when evil is having its way in our world today, what is your first inclination? Is it to fight back? Is it to exert your will through the use of force? Is it to de declare the rights that you have in the Constitution? Or do you have a zeal for the good of your enemies? Will you love them by praying for them and bringing the gospel message to their ears? Paul was zealous for these Jews and, and he would use the platform that God had given to him to bring the message of Christ to them. His desires, his desire was that they might repent and find salvation in Jesus. But how did Paul get this way? Let's look at our next few verses, starting at verse 40. 
And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, and, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as a high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear, wit bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And so here we see a zeal of a different kind coming from the Apostle Paul. Paul begins his defense by demonstrating to this crowd his Jewish credentials, right? Even though he was born in Tarsus, he was actually raised in Jerusalem. His family had moved back to Israel while he was still a youth. But more than that, he, he was raised to be a Pharisee. He sat under the tutelage of Gamaliel, one of the more famous rabbis of that time. And so he was brought up to conform to the letter of the law. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So why was Paul telling them this? He, he wanted them to know that he didn't start out as a follower of Jesus. Rather, he was once just like them. And just like them, he too had a zeal for God. Paul said that he was zealous for God as all of you are today. In other words, Paul's passion for God's glory was just as great, if not, if not greater, than this crowd who was before him. This crowd who wanted to take his life. And it was in such zeal that Paul became a persecutor of the church. He became an oppressor of the way. And in fact, because of his zeal, he was once one of Christ's greatest enemies. He had become an official agent of the Sanhedrin, authorized to travel all the way to Damascus in order that he might arrest Christians, both men and women. He would bind them. He would chain them up. He would then drag them back to Jerusalem in order that they might be tried and, and if possible, stoned to death. And so Paul was just like them, if not more so. For he had a zeal for God that was unmatched. And he used that zeal to justify extreme violence. Now as Paul will continue his defense, what we will discover is that, is that he did not share these details just to be relatable. But he was also sharing them to, to show the stark contrast between his old life and the life that he was currently living as a disciple of Jesus. 
He, he wanted to show these people that, that a life filled with a zeal for God, but without a knowledge of the truth, is a life filled with great error. Now, we looked at some verses last Sunday, but I think it would be beneficial for us to look at them again. Look at, look at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Here we see Paul speaking about these unbelieving Jews. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so just like Paul, before he became a Christian, these people had a zeal that was without knowledge of the truth. They were ignorant concerning God's righteousness. A righteousness that can only that can only be obtained through Jesus Christ. Instead, they believed that they could attain that righteousness through their own zealous adherence to God's law. And this explains their actions, right? For, for in their ignorance, they were ready to murder a man, believing that they were doing God's will. They were convinced that that they were pleasing God by beating a man to death. I mean, if you don't see the irony in that, I don't know if you know what irony is. But you can see what, what zeal that isn't in line with the truth leads to, right? It leads to great, great error. Who, who are the zealots of our day? Who are those who claim to be doing God's work but are ignorant concerning God's truth? I think there's a lot of them. And consider, consider the Mormons, for example, who, who worship a false God, who worship a false Jesus. They are ignorant when it comes to the truth. And yet every single one of them commits two years of their lives to go on mission. They have a zeal without a knowledge of the truth. Or consider that far less environmental activist who stages protests and, and rallies and even commits acts of violence on behalf of Mother Earth, the goddess whom that person worships. They too have a zeal without a knowledge of the truth. Or what about the jihadist? The man who follows the false religion known as Islam, who is willing to strap a bomb to his chest, walk into a crowd and push the button, all for the honor of Allah. This man has a zeal without a knowledge of the truth. And that, that was the type of zeal that Paul once had. That was what he thought would draw him closer to God. Yet it was actually drawing him further away. 
Paul was in great, great error. Yet Paul's zeal had now changed, had it not? He, he was now zealous for his enemy's good. And this is why, we, why he, he would now proclaim to this crowd his eyewitness account of the resurrected Jesus. Look at verses 6 through 11. And as I was on my way and, and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand. The voice of the one who was speaking to me, and I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And so here we see a zeal of a different kind. As Paul describes his encounter with the risen Christ, The risen Jesus. The very same Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be the Son of Man. The very same Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be the Messiah. The very same Jesus of Nazareth who was arrested, tried, and then crucified outside of the city gates. The very same Jesus of Nazareth who was in, buried in that tomb for three days until he rose from the dead victorious. Paul was now making the claim that this Jesus came to him. And why? Because Jesus was zealous for Paul. Christ was going to rescue this persecutor of the church, demonstrating not only his, his love for this man, but also demonstrating the extent of his grace that even the chief of sinners can find salvation at the cross of Christ. Many years ago, when the movie The Passion of the Christ had just come out, I had a conversation with the campus leader of a Jewish student group at the University of Michigan. And, and this woman, she, she couldn't understand why they would make a movie about a, a man being brutalized and killed. She found it repulsive. She found it horrific. And, and so she asked me what I found appealing about it. I responded to her by saying that what she found as horrific I found is beautiful. And not that I love violence. But what that movie demonstrated, what, what the suffering of Jesus demonstrates, is that he has a passion for me. And he has a passion for you as well. Listen, Jesus was full of zeal. There wasn't a single moment when he was on that cross where he couldn't have used his divine powers to remove those nails and to step down. 
But that's not what he chose to do. Rather, he chose to remain. He, he chose to suffer. And why? Because he is zealous for you. Because he is zealous for me. And he was zealous for the Apostle Paul. He, he was going to free this man from his blind rage. And he was going to give to him a new heart. But not only was he going to rescue this man, but, but Jesus would then use this man, this man who was full of zeal for his own kingdom purposes. Look at verses 12 through 16. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so it was in Damascus where we see Paul's zeal getting redirected. God had guided his apostle to, a, to this man named Ananias, a devout Christian Jew, a man who was well-respected within his community, and it was through this man that Paul was able to regain his sight. But not only that, but then in a prophetic voice, Ananias spoke to Paul, declaring to him the calling that Christ had now placed upon him. Listen to Ananias' words once more. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. In other words, Paul, you, you have been a zealous man, and yet your zeal was without a knowledge of the truth. But now God has chosen you to reveal his will to you. And he has done so by allowing you to see the resurrected Jesus. And now that you have this knowledge of the truth, you are to redirect your zeal in order that it may be in tune with the truth. Your passion is to be toward your Lord, to this one who has removed the scales from your eyes and has rescued you. Your zeal is to be for him. And now he desires for you to go. Go to all peoples and to bear witness of what you have seen. That Jesus is the Messiah and that salvation can only be found through him. And this is the calling of all those who have had their eyes open to the truth. You are to proclaim Christ to all peoples. You are to go to your family. You are to go to your friends. You are to go to your neighbors. And you are to go to that stranger on the street. You are to bear witness to the resurrected Jesus. 
And so your zeal, your passion is to be for him. Let's see if Paul was still as zealous after he received this new calling. Look at verses 17 through 21. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so Paul was now recounting his first time back in Jerusalem after his conversion. And this would have been roughly three years later, for Paul had remained in Damascus for some time where he proclaimed Christ to all peoples. In fact, the only reason Paul left Damascus, if you remember, was because of his zeal. His zeal was too much for the enemies of Christ. And so they wanted him dead. That's when these men started keeping watch at the city, city's gate. As soon as Paul would rear his ugly head, they, they, they were planning on snatching him and murdering him. And so in order to escape, what did Paul have to do? He had to be lowered down in a basket through an opening in the city wall. And this had to be done at night so that, that Paul's flight could be kept a secret. That's how he returned to Jerusalem. With men wanting him dead because he was so zealous for Christ. And he returned to Jerusalem in the hopes that he might proclaim Christ there as well. And yet Jesus had other plans for his apostle. While Paul was praying in the temple, what, what happened? Paul received another vision. Jesus had come to him again, only this time with a warning. That the Jews within Jerusalem would not accept his testimony. And thus he should hasten out of the city. <clears throat> yeah, how, how did Paul respond? It's as if he was making a case to his Lord in order that he might remain, right? He, he believed that he could be an effective witness to those who were persecuting the church because he himself used to be one of them. And yet Jesus said otherwise. They will not accept your testimony about me. And that's because Jesus knew these men's hearts. That they hated Paul more than any other apostle. Because he used to be one of them. They saw him as a turncoat, as a traitor. No, Paul would have to flee Jerusalem. And yet Jesus would use this man for his own purposes. Christ would send him far away to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Now, I find it a bit ironic that, that Paul was being accused 
of defiling the temple by bringing a Gentile into the inner courts. And yet it was in that temple that Paul received the calling to go to the Gentiles. You see, the Jews at that time, they, they were zealous. They, they really were. But they had a zeal without a knowledge of the truth. And in that zeal, they desired to keep the Gentiles out of the temple. In fact, they, even though they had built a specific outer court for those Gentiles, what did they do with that court? They filled it with the money changers and the sellers of animals. They set up all these tables to make a profit. And that was why Jesus, when he had cleansed the temple, what did he do? He, he turned those tables over. He took a whip and he chased those money changers out. The Gentiles were never meant to be excluded. Yeah, Paul was once just like these people, right? He was a zealous, zealous Pharisee. A man who would protect God's temple from any defilement. And yet when he received the knowledge of the truth, when he received the knowledge of his risen Savior, his zeal was redirected and he became an apostle to the Gentiles. Well, up to this point, in Paul's defense, the crowd had been silent. And they were actively listening to every word that this man had to say. But instead of having their eyes open to the truth, we, we find a, an opposite reaction. For when they heard that word, when they heard the word Gentiles, they erupted once again. Look at our last verse. Look at verse 22. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. It was at the word Gentiles that they once again became irate. They wanted to have Paul's head. They wanted him dead. And why? Because they would not accept the truth. They had a zeal without knowledge. Dear friends, zeal is not enough to please God. Rather, our zeal must be in line with the truth. Because when it's not in line with the truth, it produces great error. It's why mobs form. It's why violence permeates our world. It's why myths are regarded as reality. It's why lost men are thinking that they are doing God's will. So ask yourself, is your zeal in conformity with the truth? The truth that is Jesus Christ. And so we see that a zeal without knowledge of the truth is a bad combination. But so also is a knowledge of the truth without zeal. And unfortunately, this is where I believe a lot of us within the church today are sitting. We have Christ, 
We, we have the truth of his salvation, and yet we aren't as zealous for him as we should be. This is why we bite our tongues when God gives us opportunities to share the gospel. It is why we, we take the safe, paved highway of not being offensive instead of taking that bumpy, dirt path of speaking the hard truth. Paul was not like that. He, he let his zeal for the Lord guide his steps, and because of that, he was greatly used in God's kingdom. Now, did this zeal lead to his arrest? Absolutely. But Paul had counted the cost and decided that his Lord was worth it. That's what zeal is. It's saying Jesus is worth it. Listen, it, it takes both. It, it takes a knowledge of the truth, but it takes zeal as well. Either one without the other leads to great error. And so the question you must ask yourself, which one am I lacking in? And what will I do to correct my deficiency? Brothers and sisters, let us not live our lives in error. Rather, let us be a people who have great zeal, a zeal driven by the knowledge of the truth. Let us pray. Father, I want to confess to you today, Lord, that many times this is me. I, I have the knowledge of the truth, but I lack zeal. Lord, and I, I want to pray for our church. Lord, I pray for all those who are in this room who maybe they do have a zeal for you, but they are lacking in that saving knowledge that comes through your Son. In Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I pray that you would help us to understand that truth and help us to use that knowledge for the furtherance of your kingdom. Father, I also want to pray for all those who, who already possess this knowledge and yet are lacking in zeal. May you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, stir up the fervor within them that they might take the message of your Son to those who are lost and, and bitter towards you. May our passions be for our enemies' good, that we might pray for them and present to them the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his mighty, mighty name. Amen.